Welcome to the Breakthrough Podcast. I'm J. Paul Frydenmaker, and I am amazed by all you folks who do fundraising, inviting generous people to resource causes all over the world. In the Breakthrough Podcast, we interview high net worth givers globally to listen and learn about how we as fundraisers can do our best work in inviting people to the party. Thank you for listening in. Today, Todd and I are interviewing one of my favorite follows on LinkedIn, Mr. John Delange. John is a fundraising and marketing professional who has worked with over 50 Christian organizations around the world. He has chosen to feature a charity called Summit Ministries for this episode. Todd and I can't wait for you to hear more about Summit. John now leads the direct mail and digital strategies for Summit Ministries, as well as helping with major gift relationships for them. But if we hop in the Wayback Machine, we'll find that the young teenage John Delange traveled all over the U.S. teaching civic engagement to other teens, and he was a delegate to the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship Conference. Overachiever. <clears throat> Sorry, <clears throat> something stuck in my throat there. <clears throat> I'm just jealous. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, my goodness. But what we're really interested in is that he grew up on a strawberry farm and was afraid of phone calls. Thanks for listening in on this Talking Shop episode with John Delange. Todd DeCryder, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So much fun, dude. Good to see you again. Good to see you again, too. What is your favorite New Year's tradition? Do you guys have something that you do every year with the kids? or? Well, actually, this year we did a different one and went up to family camp. Oh, okay. So we went up to Gull Lake Ministries, and they have a New Year's deal. So we celebrated it with, I don't know how many, hundred others with a balloon drop and a you know kind of little spiritual kickback in, time of worship, that kind of stuff. But Outside of watching awesome. football and go Michigan, right? I don't know what? beyond that. What? No, don't no, just pause. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I I was gonna ask, are you a Michigan fan? Good night. I mean, of course, I'm a Husky fan. Yeah. And I just want to have a moment of silence. Okay, that's good enough. <laughs> 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 I love it. It was a good game, though. It was um, a good game up until about midway through the third quarter. <laughs> I was nervous until that point. Yes. Yeah. But once once it got going, it was a blast. Well, we're we're launching 2024 with a talking shop episode, and I am super excited about this. So, Todd, I know that you don't know our guest John Delange personally, and I actually met John. On LinkedIn, we've become LinkedIn friends, both professionally and personally, and he is a great follow on LinkedIn, by the way. We'll put everything in the show notes, but here's what I'm going to do, Todd, even though you don't know him. We're going to play a little two truth, no, two, one truth and two lies. I can't remember. It usually is two truths and a lie. So unless we're playing a different game. Here we go. Two truths. No, no, no. Two truths and a lie. Or three, li- I'm going to do three lies. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm lost. I don't I'm gonna know what give, we're doing. I'm going to make three, <laughs> I'm going to make three statements about Mr. Delange. And you tell me which one is false. Ooh. 
That's how. So it works. one is false. Okay. Just to be clear on the rules that you changed seven times. One of my one of my three statements is supposed to be false. Okay. Here's the first one. John worked as a political operative in multiple states at the state and federal level. Okay, it's believable. Second one. John grew up on a strawberry farm and he's afraid of the phone. He was afraid of phone calls growing up. Okay. Third one. At 21 years old, he was hired as a director of development and led that team to their first $1 million fundraising year. Okay. Which one of those do you think is false? Afraid of phone calls kind of makes me go, I don't know if he can be in this role without it, right? Um I'm, I'm going to go with two. I believe the strawberry farm piece, but I think I, I'm going to go farm. flag on the freight of phone calls piece. You know what, Todd? There, no surprise. I cheated. All three of those are true about this guy. So that's why I had to make up the rules nine Sorry. times. There we go. I get it. All right. Yeah. That's right. All right, so that's I right. want to start in on that hey, one, John. Then, John. How in the world did okay. you get from afraid yes. of phone calls to getting into the business of asking people for money? That just seems like a non sequitur Great to me. Great question. It does. You know, right. I growing up on the strawberry farm, we had thousands and thousands of customer interactions during the busy season. And so that was kind of the base of, of kind of overcoming that fear. And I got to go back to my parents. I have such respect for them. My mom uh, is relatively nervous. And because of her faith, she consistently chooses to do the things that she feels called to, even when they are hard. And that's something that I'm really grateful for. And my parents, you know, I, I grew up with a perspective that, hey, I can be, I can be a meaningful part of the kingdom if I'm faithful even when it's hard. And yeah, I was, I was definitely shy growing up. I, would, I was the kind of person that would get the wrong burger at McDonald's and just eat it because I didn't want to go back and ask for the no pickles side of it. But, oh, you know, Lord willing, I, I mustered up my courage and took a, a political internship where I was forced to... Mustard, exactly. I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah, ah. Jay Paul, he has to catch up pickles, here, but mustard. Uh, we're, we're going to muster our courage. And, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that was a bad hey, one. <laughs> you're you're the one that it. pulled the pun out first. <laughs> anyway, I, I I started that, and you know, once you have you're inundated in in political phone calling, door knocking, and volunteer management, and live event uh, interactions, the the crossover to entry level fundraising is is pretty clear. A skill set's quite similar. Well, John, welcome to the Breakthrough Podcast. It's really fun to have you. Why don't you start off just telling us a little about your family and where you live and, and what keeps you busy these days? So my my busyness right now comes from our seven-month-old son. He's our, he's our first. My, my wife and I have definitely enjoyed being parents. We live on the shores of beautiful Lake Makatawa in Holland, Michigan. If anyone is, is listening and wants a, a place that has beautiful clear water and white sandy beaches and um, 80 degrees and breezy 
during the summer, you might want to come to Holland, Michigan. We love it. It's a great place to be from. My wife grew up here. I I grew up about a half an hour away on on the strawberry farm, like I mentioned, and that's a uh, it's a joy. We we love the Midwest. So my my day my days are so John is Lake Mac still flooding? It's not it's not flooding right now. Is a couple years back it was like people having to put sandbags on to protect yeah. against the the rise of Lake Michigan, which was up I forget how many feet, but kind of yeah, nuts. That's right. Yeah, the there's a erosion cycle kind of on a twenty year up and down. And so a lot of the the lake homes along Lake Michigan were dealing with needing to install seawalls to push against the encroachment of of Lake Michigan and the high water table. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, you are uh, you're actually a player coach. And that's how I met you, because you are on the Summit Ministries team, but you also are just incredibly magnanimous and generous with what you've learned over the years and sharing on a regular basis on LinkedIn. So tell us a little bit about those two worlds that you operate in. Yeah, thank you. I, I look at my role in, at Summit as a place where we get to verify the truth in the sphere of action. And so anything that we learn in you know, our theory books or our trainings, the different courses and consultants that we work with, Ultimately, those things get to be implemented at, at an organization in the context of real relationships. So that's a joy that I get to do at Summit, uh, drawing people close to the mission, writing content that, that inspires people to generosity. And you know, some of my favorite work is you know, getting to sit down with people over a cup of coffee and asking them, hey, what brings you joy about investing in this mission? And that that's been that's been a blast. I've worked there for about six years. It, we have a great team. Almost all of us um, have been there all six years. That's I, one thing I think that sets our fundraising team apart compared to a lot of industry industry averages. We see a lot of headlines around fundraiser turnover and and so on. And about two years ago, I set myself a goal to clarify my own thinking and perspective by writing publicly on a biblical view of nonprofit development. So that's how you and I got connected, Jay Paul, is through a consistent LinkedIn presence. Both of us uh, communicate with uh, the relationship development class on, on LinkedIn. And what I found comp- combining my my experience in in faith-based fundraising along with a background in family business, political work, um, training and sales sales thinking. I had a, a small business for a while as well. You know, there's a, a great synergy in in finding the joy in our work as fundraisers um, when we when we distill it down to its principles. Which actually actually I'd like to switch into when you talk about the principles. Um, I don't know how widespread this list of 12 is. This is one of the things that you do on the coaching, this, this list of 12 principles, because I want to unpack several of those, if that's all right yeah, with our time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Is this a widespread list for you, John? I, okay, yeah. I, I, and the first four are honestly my favorite, not to pick on the other ones. Um, but the, the one I love the most is this one, assume good intent in the face of silence. So uh, walk me through that, because fundraisers from time to time, or anybody in sales for that matter, gets ghosted. 
And we come up with these stories in our head, which are usually nowhere near reality. Walk us through that one. Assume good intent in the face of silence. Love sure. that principle. So as you think about your work, you you have the responsibility to be the faithful advocate for your mission. And, you know, those you sit to stand on your core values. You get to communicate your impact and you get to draw people and invite people to participate in that. But we don't know what's going on between the ears of, of someone else that we're communicating with. Sometimes they're on the other side of a screen. Sometimes they're on the other side of the coffee table. Sometimes they're on the other side of the world. And we just don't know what's, what's their environment. Seth Godin uses a, a term called umwelt. It's a, a German term. And it's the, the idea of the totality of experiences and inputs that someone is going through. And I have a I have a great friend who's spent his whole career in major gifts and he I think he got this from Pep Jackson um and he talked about you need to live as the in, and have some of the inputs that your key supporters have as their inputs. So that way you understand what they're going on. So anyway, that is all the the foundational idea of why we assume good intent in the face of silence. Um, you, when we have a relationship with someone, or even if we don't have a relationship with someone, but they are connected with our organization, we have a baseline understanding that, hey, they seem to appreciate the work that we're doing. So just because just because something has changed in their their daily schedule and they didn't get back to my text or my email, we need to be disciplined in the thought process that, hey, maybe their kids are are screaming in the back seat, and you know they open to the text, but then uh, once they got to the school drop off line and they couldn't text me back, or you know that's so. I think everyone, if you if you look back on your consistent actions over time, there are points where that thirteenth phone call or that twelfth uh, text. Uh, after 10 months is the one that finally produced the results. Yeah, no, that's so true. I, uh, I, I think almost daily I'm saying to a client or someone I'm coaching, don't let your imagination run wild. <laughs> it's uh, or let it run wild in a positive way. Like you say, assume good intent. So what Todd is referring to here for those listening is, John has written up 12 Rules for Fundraising, an Antidote to Tactical Overwhelm. And uh, and we're going to put these in the show notes. We probably won't be able to go through all of them in detail, but I've also got some. I'm going to do one, and maybe we can go back and forth, Todd, on some of these we want John to unpack. I was fascinated by executive fundraising is a dial. What do you mean by sure. that? Sure. So I have a, a number of people that I follow and the, I got this concept from Ramit Sethi and then a, a fitness coach. And they talk about this idea of personal development in, in such a way that as humans, we tend to go all in on one thing. And then that just doesn't match the way that we ultimately change our behaviors. We're at the start of, of 2024 here. Uh, we're recording on the 12th. And so there's some some majority of people who started their New Year's resolution that have now stopped. And likely, they chose to do too many things at one time. And so as fundraisers, we, we hear a coach or a consultant 
jump in and say, man, your executive director, your CEO needs to dedicate 20% of their time to fundraising. And all of the fundraisers uh, are going, oh my goodness, I would love to have my executive director do that. That would make my job so much easier. Well, they're, they're wrestling with a lot of other pressures. The CEO, the president, they have to think about the challenges now and the challenges to the organization in, in five years and preempt them. So I recognize that there are a lot of things competing for the, the attention and the time of, of leaders of, of organizations. So when we think about it as a dial, um, we can reduce the pressure on ourselves to get our president or get our CEO to go and do the things that we want to do. Maybe they can fly with us to Seattle to meet that prospect who is an executive at, at Amazon, but maybe they can only record a 90-second iPhone video that you can bring along with you on that visit. Or, you know, maybe they can, you know, so that's a that's an example. You can dial something up or down as you go. So one of the, a number of the, the ways that you can do that is just helping helping them bring people behind the scenes of your organization. Of course, they are great advocates and they're going to be great uh, most of the time on visits or calls with you, but they can't always do that. And so what can we do to still achieve those results? I've, I've literally written texts for my CEO before and texted them to him and said, hey, this is what I would yes. recommend you yeah. text so-and-so. And he makes his changes and texts it out. Yeah. So essentially a, a way of saying manage upward inequality. Yeah. And it also, the, the dial, the dial mentality takes the, the pressure off of, off of you for not, not going all in. If we think about uh, the, all those workout schedules, you start off with P90X and you have uh, an hour and a half workout every single day. You need to have the executive director go on three donor meetings every single week, no matter what, no excuses, hold the line, and they're just not gonna, it's just not going to happen. Um, but one text to one key supporter two times a month is better than nothing. Which, by the way, P90X is a dial I've done before and is definitely an 11 okay. on that scale. <laughs> um, but uh, saying that with leg day two days ago as well, so I'm, I'm feeling it. Um, I actually want to double click on something you said because uh, when we asked you the question, you're like, well, Godin said this and then the infamous Peb Jackson said this and then the other guy came from this. What, what's your reading regimen on, on how you're sharpening the saw? I want to dig on that a little bit because you've quoted immediately three other people off the cuff. What are you doing to sharpen your saw? Because I think that's another interesting thing the major donors need to stay up on top of is how you're keeping the inputs that's fresh. A, yeah, I appreciate that question. I I have been working to try and have a habit of meaningful reading since I was 17. And so I had some, I had some mentors when I was a teenager who... Which is very Summit Ministries of you, by the <laughs> yeah, way. We'll get into that one later, <laughs> that, right? Uh, I, I, would say, I would say I started off um, my, my journey of kind of wrestling through personal development materials from a small business uh, perspective, Todd. So when I, when I was choosing the things that I was going to read and, and work through, I was in a position where I was half-time selling digital marketing services to businesses and nonprofits and half-time in major gifts work for, for Summit Ministries. And, you know, around that time, 
you know, you're trying to solve your own problems. And so I was trying to wrestle through, okay, hey, there's there's an overlap between sales mindset, business leadership, business strategy, and also, um, you know, interacting with people that are immersed in business ownership, business mindset, and business strategy all the time. And so that's, that's one way that I, that I work through it. Um, I, I, I also just try and pay attention to people that have, that have built platforms and click in through like, like if somebody goes to Wikipedia and then you go to the footnotes and then you find the, the thing that Wikipedia was referencing. I try to do the same thing when I listen to podcasts when they're referencing books or, or other resources. Speaking of influences, another LinkedIn friend is Kevin Fitzgerald. And, uh, and Kevin is a great follow on LinkedIn. He has um, a system that he calls One Visit Away. So talk about, I know, I know Kevin is a, a connection, maybe a personal friend of yours. Why do you see him as a key influence? Yeah, I, I appreciate Kevin because he's undeniably good at the, the constraint factor of fundraising in major gifts, which is setting visits. And he, I went on his podcast about a year ago and we talked through that because if you can, if you can own the thing that is in short supply, uh, my friend, my friend who's a corporate photographer who's never short on work, he says, if you can be the bank of something that's that's really valuable to businesses or or your organization internally, um, you become an incredibly valuable player on the team. And so, what I appreciate about Kevin is he's consistently pushing people from a place of truth verified in the sphere of action. He's gone on thousands of visits. He's coached people to you know, schedule thousands of visits more. And this is the thing that works. And then you go out and you just run the play. Uh, I, I was working with a, a client um, just this week who they said, hey, we got all these contact cards from this event, but they're probably not good. Uh, so I don't think it's even worth entering it into the CRM. And I, I, st- I stopped them and I said, look, I want you guys to hear me very clearly. Don't ever say no for your donors and don't ever say no for people who could be your donors. We don't know what's going on in their lives. If, if they gave you their information, we have an op- obligation to share our mission with them. I love that. So um, getting to that point then, one of, the, one of your points I think that ties into the discussion we're just having here is listen to their story before you tell yours. So um, you, you do the hard work in the heat of the day, like you just said. You talk through, you follow through, you get the meeting scheduled, you're doing the thing. I think your principle applies here. Listen to the story before I tell it. What, what, what does that mean to you? T- tease that one out sure. for us. So I, I love this. The, the old adage goes, we have two ears and one mouth, and we're supposed to use them in that, in that proportion. For in all serious, this note though, people are proven to like you more the more that they are able to feel understood. Um, in in working with in working with supporters, you know, there's there's a reason why they give, and you know, maybe there's a, a reason why they gave that amount. Maybe there's a an opportunity or a meaningful experience that they had. That, that led them to this moment in their lives. And so oftentimes there are deep emotions attached to money. And 
um, deep emotions attached to the strategy that they feel your organization is pursuing. And as, as a strategic fundraiser, we, we want to recognize that, hey, people, people don't always have the same uh, objectives as the organization, and we want to be good stewards of receiving a gift well. If they expect us to be going, you know, in, in direction A, but we're only, go- we're only going 50% in that direction, we need to find out why and what's going on there before we were to pursue a second gift. Um, I think of, uh, and oftentimes there are deep emotions. So I was visiting with a, a family uh, a couple years ago and the wife had unfortunately suffered a stroke and 30 years prior to our visit, this couple had spent several summers driving the bus at our conferences at Summit Ministries. They had their summers free at that time and they, they interacted with students. They drove them to experiences at the conference. They, they lived with them at the, at the historic hotel that Summit owns and in the day and a half that I spent with them, uh, the only time that this lady was articulate was when she was recollecting her experiences at Summit Ministries. And that, that was really meaningful for me. And so their giving was so bound up in the, the memories that they had. It wasn't just the dollar, uh, dollar figure on the check. It was, it was the history that they had with our organization. And I'm a younger guy. I, I wasn't even alive when they were volunteering with the organization. It, it's really important that we, we give them the opportunity to, to share their story. You know, another thing I come across, John, and I know you do too, is there's a lot of anxiety and concern about the future, understandably. And one of the principles you have or one of the rules you write is embrace your limits. And I think this is tied also to another phrase that you've mentioned that I love, and that's control the controllables. Talk about that a little bit. Sure. So every every organization runs into this to some degree. If only we had a million dollars to spend on Facebook advertisement, we would get so many donors. If only we had an angel gift for, you know, kicking off that that new partnership program with the the local school district, man, we would just we would just thrive. Those those are our wishful thinking uh, elements and you know, they don't they don't always have a lot of bearing on the strategy that we can control today and tomorrow. So the things that we are the things that we are in control of uh, in are part of a circle that pretty much only goes around our feet. And when we look out, say, "Hey, my own." This is Viktor Frankl talking about. He's like, "I can control my thinking, and I can control my attitude, and how I respond to external sim- stimuli." So every organization is going to run into these limits. Um, many times they are financial limits. Uh, the the story that I I share uh, in in the concept is Bill Walsh, who who took over the Bengals in the 1960s, and he he just inherited these comically inadequate players. Virgil Carter was known as this noodle arm quarterback who couldn't pass more than 20 yards. And back in the 60s, the the whole offense was built around you know specific types of plays and. Virgil just didn't fit that. You either had to bomb it way down the field or just run up the middle and, you know, knock knock everybody down. And so they built the strategy 
that became known as the West Coast offense, where wide receivers ran 12 to 15 yard routes and the quarterback put the ball in a specific placement. And so, you know, that that embracement or that embracing of Virgil Carter's noodle arm constraints brought a, a new era of, of NFL offense. Noodle arm. That's that's the title of Todd's next memoir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I never played football. That, okay. That's valid. Um, I like it. Um, all right, Jet, I want to switch gears. We always ask our, our, our donors this question um, just because I think it's fun. But it, from the from your side of the table, obviously we get into this thing of, of getting asked and asking. Um, and some of them go really well and they're blessed and it's really fun. But then I think more so the ones that just don't go so well. Um, I, I'd love to hear the stories on that side. And again, protect the names as you need to. But um, I, I would love to hear a, a one that went well and one that you like, man, I, could, I wish I could have that back. Or the one you learned from. Maybe we should say it that way. So one, one that I learned from was working with, a, working with a couple who, you know, they had been to one of our events and we had, we had some faulty data uh, and so their their wealth screening didn't match their their reality, and it is it is tough when somebody comes to your team at a, a four or five star hotel and they say we shouldn't be here. Um, you know we we learned a lot in in that interaction about how to be gracious, um, and one of the things that has changed now as a as a result of that. One, you know, they didn't they didn't make a large gift that that wasn't part of their um, their capacity, and you know we we've done a lot to be caring both on both ends of that now. So when we kick off our our events, we always tell people, look, we're glad that you're here, and your presence here has nothing to do with your giving, um, and that's a that relieves the pressure uh, for those that feel, man, maybe I shouldn't be in this room. Or also for the people that say, I could write a, a check that's twice your entire campaign. Um, and, and we want to recognize that, hey, people are in different places. And when we're gathered together for a joyful, fun, community-centered or, or a commun- like a, a key community uh, event, we want to we just be together in the context of relationships. So give us the flip side then. Tell us the story on... Sure. When it went well. I, I think about this. This is just it's all about people that are finding joy in, in what they give. We we worked with a, a family who was at a, a different event. Um, we had we had invited them and they came up to me after and said, hey, we'd like to make a gift that exceeds what we are pre-approved to give um, on the day of. We need to go back and meet with our foundation board and. Yeah, I was excited to excited to hear that, and they they called me back after the board meeting uh, about ten days later at nine forty five at night, and, and let me know that there was a, a seven figure gift on its way to our organization, and that that was the first time that we'd ever received a, a cash gift of that size at Summit, and the first thing that I was able to share with them was, "You guys must be so excited uh, about this," and they said, "Yes, we are. This is." This is an absolute joy. Um, of course, right after that, we say thank you. We express gratitude and, and bring that. But always centering around the experience of the person that is making the gift. That 
giving truly is a gift to the giver. And that was, that was absolutely true in, in that moment. Well, we come to a part of the podcast here that we love, and that's that we ask our guests, um, kind of in lieu of doing ads or other things like that, we want to feature a cause that is just near and dear to your heart. And, and John, you've chosen uh, Summit Ministries, which, of course, you, you're spending a lot of your time and, and energy to help them. But talk to us a little bit about Summit. What is the vision? Sure. I, I'm blessed to be able to work for an organization and spend most of my time with an organization that had a, an outsized impact in my life. I, I attended Summit as a 17-year-old student, and it gave me a perspective of people that were living their story uh, through the lens of a biblical worldview in a multiplicity of vocations. Um, it, it's easy to think as a, as a young man or young woman that living your faith out means being a missionary or a pastor or you know, some, some version of quote-unquote ministry work. But I encountered a lot of people and a lot of stories of people who lived their worldview out, the pattern of ideas that made up their, their assumptions and their environment, living that out practically in, in a lot of different ways. And so I'm, I'm grateful to, to be able to share that story. Summit works with about 65,000 students every single year through, through conferences, curriculum. Wow. Yeah, That's we are. Amazing. We're blessed to support Christian schools in their work um, in in the Bible classes, helping students not only mentally know the the propositions of of the Bible, but also to go and, and actually put them into practice. But one of the things that we've done for all sixty one years at, at Summit is these two week summer conferences, and students students come oftentimes when they're seventeen, eighteen years old, and typical 17 and 18 year olds, they're, they're coming to a conference environment and we make them sit through uh, lots of hours of lectures. But the thing is, because it's so transformative and eye-opening, you know, they're, they're encountering truth and relationship from world ca- world-class apologists and thinkers and speakers. And we go back and we ask them, hey, what was your experience like five and five and 10 years later? And, you know, 95% of them that, that were responding to those surveys are saying that they've embraced a biblical worldview and they're now living it out. Well, I, I myself, John, as we connected earlier, am a, a summit grad as well as a summer staffer uh, well before your time back in the Doc Noble era. Um, but for me as well, I'm a living testimony of summit is, is it taught me how to think and it taught me how to love to read and how to love to learn. Um, and Doc Noble, Jeff Myers as well, I don't know as well, but Doc was just a, such a prolific reader in the caliber of, of staff and teachers, speakers, whatever you want to call them that come in. It's like they wrote a, they do a three hour, you know, master's level thesis program on this or even postdoc work in some cases for these, these professors and they're going to give it in three hours for a 17-year-old. And you're like, what the crap? And then they do it and you're like, that was relevant. It was applicable. I walk out of here going, man, I really can love the Lord with all my mind. And they really know how to do it well. And I think none better than, than Summit. Yeah, we, we conceptualize it, uh, Todd, in, in the idea of truth and relationship. And so if you ask any person at Summit, what's what's your job? Um, they, they are there to make connections between truth and relationship 
for one person every day. If you think about it like a ladder, each side of a ladder is going to fall down without the other one being connected to it consistently. And if you want to scale the scale the walls over the the barriers to people's minds or help them escape the the hold that false worldviews have on them, you need to help them connect the the rungs between truth and relationship in a, a really robust way. And I'm glad you experienced that. Yeah, 100%. As did my son this last That's year. Great. So good stuff. Love Summit. Okay, we're taking a break here to welcome a special guest to the podcast. Uh, this is Aaron Atwood, who is the Vice President of Advancement at Summit Ministries. Aaron, it's great to talk with you. Hey, it's good to talk to you too, Jay Paul. Thanks for everything you do for our industry and to help us just understand more the mindset of you know, high capacity donors and how to do this job well. Now, my favorite part about this, this uh, interview right now is that Aaron is hiding in a coat <laughs> closet at the country club to do this interview with me because he's going from here to go have meetings with people, which I'm just like, that is the life of a major gift fundraiser. So you're living it, buddy. Way to go. Yeah. This is it. This is our <laughs> living the dream, man. This is awesome. Absolutely. We're talking to the brilliant John Delange. We have him as our guest uh, today on the podcast. So, but he wanted to feature, this probably comes as no surprise to you, by the way. He wanted to feature Summit Ministries as the charity that is featured on this episode. So I'm sure uh, when you heard about that, you were like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. John That's is right. uh, a feather in my cap. You know, because oh, I really? bring him on board at Summit and I forever think that was one of the smartest decisions I've ever made. How did you and John meet? Well, so John was a student at Summit. Summit does mm. um, in-person conferences with students ages 16 to 22 or so. Okay. Uh, and we try to help them really own their faith before they leave home. We teach Christian worldview and apologetics. Um and so John came as a student, I don't know, maybe 2017. And then I just kind of, I don't know, followed along <laughs> in John's social media threads and yeah. saw what he was doing and said, hey, man, you know, you might want to take a look over here. We got some fun things going on. That's very cool. That's very cool. And my co-host, Todd DeKreider, his son has been through Summit. Yes. Yeah. Very fun. Everywhere you go, you meet summit yeah. grads who are doing something great people who have connections with summit so aaron um what is the vision like what do you guys dream of happening if you are successful in your ministry well our our vision is to see generations of christians mobilized to heal a broken world and they do that through not only understanding truth but having a relationship with the truth, who is Jesus Christ? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And how long have you been part of this? Like, did you get drawn in by that vision or were you a donor or how did that happen? Yeah. Great question. You know, my story begins in 1992 when Whoa. I had, yeah, I had a, you were, you were just born. I was a <laughs> sophomore in high school. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was a sophomore in high school and my chemistry teacher who was our Fellowship of Christian Athletes sponsor came to me and said, Hey, I think you should go to this 
summer camp. It's called Summit. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, well, they teach <laughs> Christian worldview there. Yeah. And I honestly, Jay Paul, I had no idea what Christian worldview meant, but I knew that my wow. Bible had, I knew my Bible had maps in the back. Mm-hmm. So it must be some kind of Christian yeah. geography camp or something. <laughs> I had no clue what, what it was, but she handed me this brochure and it had mountains on it and some kids having fun. And, and I, mostly I knew, Hey, she cares about me. Yeah. And if she thinks this is a good idea, then I'll do whatever it takes. And, you know, as a great, she was a great donor. She said, listen, if you pay half, I'll pay half. Oh, that's cool. And that got me to summit. And my yeah. mind was my my mind and heart were rescued okay. from uh, a landslide of lies that I was believing, yeah. um, which led to behaviors that were destructive. And I came to summit and recognized, whoa, I am trapped in these lies and I'm living according right. to a faulty worldview. And yeah. it just completely transformed what I thought, which then transformed my behavior eventually. Yeah. Eventually, that's right. Eventually, so that's Doesn't how I happened overnight. Yeah, yeah. I, I right. then I came on staff. Um, long story short, in 2011. Oh wow! As okay. our our founder was retiring, mm-hmm. and our new uh, our new president was coming on board, Dr. Jeff Myers, and so we were having conversations about the fact they needed somebody to lead up their development work, and yep. I said, "Well, let's talk." And we talked for a really long time, and I saw that. It was going to be a good transition. It isn't always a good transition from a founder to a president, but yeah. um, it was a great transition and I'm 13 years in and loving it. That's great. Yeah. Kudos to you guys for weathering through that. Yeah. It, it's rare. Yeah, it is rare. There are lots of sad stories in the, mm-hmm. in the wake of those transitions. So how many uh, kids go through summit on an annual basis? And is it a multi year thing for them or is it just a kind of a one-time well we have i would say three sort of pillars of our programming okay. we have content that is hosted online at summit.org mm-hmm. and we have curriculum in k through 12 classrooms all over the world christian schools right. and homeschools are using this curriculum to teach truth every day all over the world and then uh, we have um sort of conferences, camps, uh, call them what you will. And those are primarily for 16 to 20 something year olds. And so in our curriculum, we have almost 70,000 students who are Mm. getting taught with faithful teachers every day. And then uh, in our conferences, we'll see almost 2000 students coming through a two week summer conference uh, this year. Amazing. That's great. Now, do students come back though? Like if they've gone through, say someone went through and, you know, 2021, forget about COVID for a second. Would they come back the following year or maybe two years later? Well, I can say I did in 1992. Oh, I loved it. And I oh, came wow. back in 93 because I okay. wanted a little bit, I wanted a booster. Let's just let's yeah. say I wanted a booster yeah. shot before going off to college. About 15% of our students will come a second time around. It is, it's incredible, Aaron, to hear your story. Like, I didn't know that. You and I have a professional relationship and we've been involved in in fundraising, but I didn't know that about your story. That's that's incredible. But tell us one or two others that just kind of stick in your heart as you wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and you go out and you rally resources for this ministry. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, this last summer we had a kid named Alex come and he's a quintessential sort of story of a kid who kind of comes kicking and screaming. Yeah. Uh, and he comes up to our president after his first lecture on sort of what is a worldview and how we're going to compare these different worldviews with one another and see which one really sticks. He comes up to me and says, okay, Dr. Jeff, I think I know what I am now. And so Jeff kind of leans forward and says, okay, yeah, let me have it. Well, I'm either a new spiritualist or a secular atheist. One of those two, you know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. that isn't exactly what you want to hear. Right. Right. But Jeff says, well, hey, let's have lunch and let's talk about it. And that's the beauty of, of Summit. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're two weeks long. So we have, we have a little bit longer runway than maybe your typical weekend youth camp in the summer. Yes. So Jeff has lunch with them and they start talking. And throughout the course of two weeks, this, this guy gets to feel the love of Jesus and he gets to hear from some world experts and he gets to ask every question he's ever had. And, and then some, and, and on one of the last days he sits down with, with Dr. Jeff again and says, Hey, I figured out what I am and I'm choosing really? Jesus. Oh, I'm choosing dude. Jesus. And just, you know, it's that kind of thing. That'll keep you going for a really long time. I was going to say, thanks be to God. You can thanks feed off that for a long time. Time. That's right. Yeah. But we have lots of stories, you know, of, of students who come to Summit whose trajectory just gets a little boost. Uh, Brian Scarrett comes to mind. Brian was a good guy, comes to Summit. He's really sharp and he leaves and decides he's going to go into law and he gets a job with the State Department. Hmm. And he uh, is stationed in Juarez, Mexico, uh -huh. where he basically single handedly takes on the drug cartel in Juarez and gets a conviction on one of the no top way. drug uh, in Juarez. You know, that's, that takes a, that takes an understanding of your purpose and calling in life to not right. just dial it in, to phone it in, you know, when you're in a position like that. And Brian, you know, Brian and many, many others like that who have just taken summit as a launch pad yeah. for what they see God calling them to do. Yeah. That is incredible that that would be a fun interview oh yeah <laughs> let me know i'll, I'll make a connection <laughs> that's very cool now you said you made the comment that alex when he came he kind of came kicking and, and screaming do you have kids that are court ordered to come to summit or like that kind of a situation <laughs> like i know that's a different situation but i just want i was curious if that's yeah, what it's you have sometimes typically not the court order it's the court yeah. of uh of family mom and dad opinion. yeah right uh, we had a girl come who uh comes up after the first that first kind of in classroom session and says so when do we start studying the poetry uh and you know our faculty member says we have some good news and bad news. Uh, what What did you come here? What did you come here thinking you were coming to? Well, my grandma sent me here saying this was poetry camp. Are you serious? <laughs> no way. As well. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Here's here's the here's the bad news. It's not poetry camp, but yeah. here's the good news. Not poetry camp. So we're yeah. going to have this big <laughs> That's so funny. Although <clears throat> we will have a, a section on the Psalms. That's so, right. You know, we'll, that's right. We will touch on some poetry, I promise. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, if people want to support this, like someone listening to this is going, man, my heart's beating a little faster. I would love mm -hmm. to either send someone or encourage someone to go, or I, I just want to give to Summit to help them do this. Um, how are you responding to that these days? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Well, I would say start at summit.org. 
Okay. And you'll find uh, a student section there for yeah. our conferences. And you'll also find a, a way to give online. That'd be the greatest way to, to start there. Or people can just email me, Aaron at summit.org. That's easy too. That is great. We'll put those links in the show notes and make sure that people are having a chance to go. And I just want to encourage everybody. And I want to bless you guys and just say we hold in our hearts and minds literally thousands of students, um, young people, parents. I mean, it's not just the young people. We hold all of them in our hearts and minds as they pursue this transformation. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's great to connect, man. It really, really is fun. And now back to our interview with John Delange. Okay, another rule for fundraising that I think would be fun to unpack, John, and that is this one. Help one person feel like a hero to your organization every workday. Talk to us about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I talk with a lot of people that are starting in fundraising or just wrestling with, man, this challenge seems overwhelming. I have thousands of people I could talk to. I've got all these opportunities to move forward, but what do I do that's actually going to move the needle? And what what I've kind of come to over the course of a number of years wrestling with my own challenges in fundraising as well as talking with others that are going through some of the same things is just focus on at least one person that you can help feel like a hero to your organization. That might be a, a volunteer where you, you grab them uh, by the shoulder and say, I appreciate what you've done for our organization and how you show up and serve our community every single week for the last five years. Thank you. It might be a, a coworker that you say, look, I just heard this story about the impact uh, of our organization and you are making this possible. And you know, those, neither of those stories are donors but you can do the same thing with your supporters and by lifting up your volunteers, lifting up your staff people, you're instilling a culture of celebration and care and respect that then flows outwards to help oh, people love it. embody the values of your organization. I, the, uh, the quote that comes to mind on this topic is, you never know when a moment and a few sincere words can have an impact on a life. And... That's that's from Zig Ziglar. I didn't come up with that. He is uh, he's one of my heroes, and I, I appreciate the way that, that he phrases that. So we covered only three, maybe even four of the 12, and those are in the footnotes for sure. But for those who are going, I'd love to get some more outside of just the text that's in, in the, the post here or the show notes, whatever we're calling. I don't think we're that official yet, Jay Paul, but whatever. We can't uh, be. <laughs> how, how do we get a hold of you slash one of the things you also do is do coaching for, for major donor reps, right? That's the other thing, John, that you were doing. How do we get a hold of you on that side? Give us something on there. Yeah, I I would encourage people to come connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm going to be posting a little bit more. My goal with these 12 rules is to treat each of them as a longer form article or essay through the course of 2024. So I'll be expanding on the ideas in, in a format that will be backed by psych psychology um, and leadership principles and my Christian faith. Uh, I have a fundraising product with my partner, Evan, called the Strategic Fundraising Plan, where we coach organizations that are implementing fundraising 
tools within their organizations. Oftentimes, what we run into is organizations haven't crafted their value proposition. And so we help them do that in the tool or putting together a welcome series or an ideal uh, supporter profile. Those are the things that, that we help solve for to help you save time and raise more money amidst your busy schedule. Fantastic. Check it out, folks. We'll have the link, definitely. And we do have show notes, Todd. We're, we're semi-professional, so. <laughs> well, as we're wrapping but, things but up. A, oh, are yeah. they wiggly-armed, or what's my phrase? Wig, wiggly? Do, noodle arm. Noodle, noodle, noodle arm. Noodle arm. Noodle, noodle arm. arm. Noodle yeah. Noodle arm. <laughs> we, are, we are definitely noodle arms here at the Breakthrough Podcast. Um, John, as we're wrapping things up, um, <laughs> Is your family still in strawberry farming? My parents own the farm that uh, that we grew up on. Yeah, my my grandfather started the farm in 1976, and yeah. my parents are are now out there, and they spend yeah. their their whole summer out in the field. That's amazing. Now, are you cursed? You go into the produce section of a grocery store, and you look at the strawberries, and are you just like, oh boy, there there's a problem here. You know, what do you give us some pro tips? How do we choose our strawberries in the produce section? Well, you want to find the ones mm, that right are the deepest red. And generally, you can okay. tell if a berry has been harvested early. Once you get it home and you're, you're cutting it open, if the, the middle of the strawberry is entirely white, that means it was picked early. Ah. And then it, it was not it was not okay. vine ripened like a vine ripened tomato. So yeah, I walked through the produce aisle and I could tell you, like people can tell the different varieties of apples, I could tell you which varieties of strawberries and, and so on you'll see there. I love it. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Glad to join Very you guys. Fun. Thanks for coming, John. All right, Todd. That was chock full of learnings information even for me i've been at this for three decades and i'm sitting here looking at john's 12 rules going man i need to go back to school <laughs> it's good and clearly he yeah. has I, I i just love his heartbeat to to quote others given credit and anyway, yes. just continual learning seems to be one it matches his organization right because yeah. that's what what summit does is is helps people understand those things but man yeah what what a learner and what what good content that was fun Totally agree. Um, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say, I one of the things I appreciate about John, you know, here's a guy who probably could have gone headlong into the business world and yeah. done things. And I know he did do some things in business and he thinks like a businessman, but has really put his shoulder into ministry causes and, and charitable causes. And I, I never, that never gets old for me. So the, the thing I think that's most helpful is what, what the assume good in the, in the face of silence. I know yeah. with any sales cycle, it's easy to get your head, Volder goes to me for this reason, or they're not interested, or the story he told about, we got these stack of the deals and it's not worth following up. And, you know, that idea of just, no, 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 let's, let's do our job. And, and it's following up and setting the meetings. It's doing the, the due diligence. It's, you know, it's listening in. It's how you do it, right? All, all those were, were, it was fantastic. Absolutely. Well, we've got a lot of fun episodes coming up in the Breakthrough Podcast. Some of these we recorded last year. They haven't been released yet. And I am excited 
for some of these folks, for you to meet them, hear about them. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we're getting off to 2024 with a bang. We've got a few more in the pipeline to be released and announced. That's right. But yeah, we've got some great ones. I'm not sure what's actually been out yet or which one's not because I'm not paying That's attention. Right. But yeah. the interviews and the conversations we've had have rocked. So it'll be fun for sure. I'm talking to our number one fan here of the Breakthrough Podcast, Todd DeCryder. <laughs> <laughs> See, I get to live it, though. That's the difference. That's I don't, right. I, I don't, do you go back and re-listen to them? I never do that. I I'm mean, like, you know, I, 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 I just when I post editing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, it's good and helpful to learn and all that. I, it's good and points valid that you listen to yourself to get better at your craft. I, I agree. I'll tell you, yeah. the, um, the ones that make my heart and brain happy are less the actual uh, podcasts and going back and watching the videos of you and I interacting with like Greg Bomber or Henry yeah. Kessner or something where we're just having a blast. We're, you know, talking and laughing and it's just a good time. Michelle Benson, man, that was so fun. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. And, and Daryl, uh, all of them have yeah. been honestly, really, yeah. I don't think we've dropped a Tufty yet, but anyway, fun <laughs> <Okay>. times. It's <laughs> great. All right, buddy. Good to do it with you. <laughs> Don't ask me that again in two years. Okay. Anyway, it's, it's been good so far. That's right. Thanks, man. See y'all. The Breakthrough Podcast is produced by myself, J. Paul Frydenmaker. Thanks to Todd DeCryder for co-hosting with me, and special thanks to John Delange for joining us today. We are grateful to dedicate this episode to Summit Ministries. Check out the links in the show notes, including information on how to follow John on LinkedIn and how to support Summit Ministries. You can also follow me on LinkedIn for daily pro tips on major gift fundraising and subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I'm now releasing audio versions of the newsletter each week as well. And may you all break through to radical generosity in your efforts to invite people to join your cause.